Are you a veteran considering grad school? Are you thinking about entering the military and wondering what you should do after it? Would you just like to hear some great advice about applying to grad school, even if you're not in the military? Please join me for this informative interview with the CEO and the Chief Programs Officer of Servant to School, a nonprofit that provides free college and grad school application counseling to military veterans and service members. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Acceptance founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 524th episode of Mission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me. Are you ready to apply to your dream MBA programs? Are you competitive at your target schools? Accepted's MBA admissions quiz can give you a quick reality check. Just go to accepted.com slash MBA quiz, complete the quiz, and you'll not only get an assessment, but tips on how to improve your qualifications. Plus, it's all free. Again, use the calculator at accepted.com slash MBA quiz to obtain your free assessment. In honor of Memorial Day, which the United States will observe this Monday, May 29th, I decided to invite two guests from Service to School, an organization that helps U.S. military veterans gain acceptance to college and graduate programs. It gives me great pleasure to have for the first time on Admissions Straight Talk, Alec Emmert, CEO of Service to School, and Sydney Mathis, Chief Program Officer at, again, Service to School. A little background about our guests. You could say that Alec really likes school. He holds a BS from the Naval, U.S. Naval Academy, an MA in International Relations and Middle Eastern Studies from the American Military University, an MS in Finance from Georgetown University, and an MBA from Wharton. After serving in the military for almost eight years, Alec joined Booz Allen Hamilton, earned his MBA at Wharton, and then joined McKinsey as a consultant. He became the full-time CEO of Service to School in March of this year. Congratulations on your new position. Sydney also likes education. She has worked in higher ed since 2011 on different college campuses and is an independent admissions consultant. She earned her bachelor's at West Virginia University and her master's in higher education and education administration, I should say, from George Washington University. Her master's focused on veteran support programs and campus resources. Alec and Sydney, welcome to Admissions Straight Talk. Thanks, excited to be here. Glad to have you both. Okay, first question is a basic one. And let's start with Alec for this one. What is Service to School? So in a nutshell, Service to School is an organization that provides free college application and admissions support to any veteran who wants it. We're talking about everything from community college to PhD programs. So if you are a veteran and you want any form of higher education, uh, you can reach out to Service to School. And we've got a group of about 500 plus volunteer ambassadors will be willing to help you out and get you into the program uh, you'd like to go to. We also offer a number of weekly programs, a newsletter, things like that, that veterans can use better inform their college decision. Thank you. That was, that was a very succinct description. And I'd like each of you also to give us a little background on your personal journeys to involvement with service to school. And Sydney, why don't you start with that one? Yeah, absolutely. I actually started as an ambassador. So during my time as an independent admissions consultant, I was consistently approached by soldiers. My husband is active duty army. So he would send me soldiers that had questions about going back to school. 
And as that was my full-time job, you know, I would help them through the process. And I was like, why isn't there an organization that does this? So after a Google search, I found service to school and I signed up to be an ambassador, um, supporting students on our undergraduate team. And then eventually um, as a volunteer role, I was the co-director of our other grad program that supports veterans that are applying to kind of those one-off programs, like a master's in higher ed. We have a lot of graduate degrees in computer science that fall in that space. So I led that team. Um, and then eventually they asked me to come on full-time here at Service to School to help support the resources and the content that we provide um, through across all of our different teams. So I uh, started as a volunteer. All right. And Alex? So I also started as a volunteer ambassador. Um, when I was at Georgetown pursuing my master's in finance, um, I was part of their veterans club and I was looking for a, a way to give back to the veteran community. And I just started asking around and one of my colleagues there in the, the veterans club uh, told me about service to school. Um, I reached out to the organization, signed up to be an undergraduate ambassador, did that for uh, several years when I decided to apply to business school. Um, I actually became an applicant and got an MBA admissions ambassador and he was tremendously helpful in my success. Um, following my admission to business school, I paid it forward and became an MBA ambassador myself. And then only recently did, was I asked to take on the role of CEO. And so I moved from ambassador to, uh, to CEO. So all in all, I've been with the organization for about eight years in wow. some capacity. Okay. Very impressive for both of you. By the way, I interviewed for Admissions Straight Talk a long time ago, actually it was uh, 2015, Gus Jacoman was, I think, the yeah. one of the co-founders yeah. of, of Service yep. to School. Yeah. And listeners, if you're interested in that, we're going to link to it. You can find it also at accept.com slash 80. Now, Alec, when you applied to Wharton, you already were a graduate of the Naval Academy and, well, and, you, and you had two matches degrees. As I said, you clearly like school. Why did you want an MBA and are you glad you got it? So the, the short answer is, um, I'm very glad I got it. Uh, my okay. experience at Wharton was very positive. And really what it, what differentiated my MBA experience from the other two masters I had, had gotten was the ability to take two years off to really focus on myself, my future, my career, learn from a variety of different people around me at the, uh, at, at the Wharton School. And the previous two master's degrees I'd got were, were part-time programs. Um, They're both very, very useful for me professionally. In, in my case, in my time in the military, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. So I wanted to learn about really like the root cause of a lot of the challenges that were going on in the region. So I pursued that degree. Um, and then I used my GI Bill benefits while I was working for Booz Allen Hamilton to get the master's in finance from Georgetown. It was an excellent program. It still is an excellent program, but it, it's it's part-time. So I wasn't fully immersed in an academic environment where going full-time to Wharton enabled me to, to spend time um, talking to teachers, really digging deeper into sort of what the future of the business landscape is going to look like. I majored in business analytics, so kind of got got pretty deep in things like machine learning and really was able to use that time to kind of hit the reset button, figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life and uh, expand my professional network. Wow. Okay. So you, I mean, I think recent surveys and stuff have said that there's growing interest in one year in online programs, but you really felt that the two-year full-time program was was very beneficial. I, I did because you get a, an internship, and the good the good thing about that is uh, really your your first year your every, all everybody ever talks about is where do you want to intern, 
And you don't really have a full picture of what that internship is going to look like, whether or not you're going to like the industry once you get there. So it really gives you a chance to try out your first hypothesis. And if you don't like it, if you go to your internship, you're not really crazy about it. You want to try something else. You have the opportunity in your second year to re-recruit, try something else and meet with people from different industries, see what else is going on, even you know, take the time to start a company yourself. So things like that. So the bottom line is that I think that the, the one-year programs are very compressed. They're, they're good at getting you the education um, in a shorter period of time. But I do think that the, the two-year programs are very, very beneficial if you're, if you're looking to really try a bunch of different things out and focus kind of on your, your own personal development for a little bit longer period of time. And you're not doing the juggling that you'd be doing with a part-time program. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. No, be, so that must be kind of hard. Okay, yeah. working full time and uh... it, it was many long. Like uh, and I, the MSF program at Georgetown is fantastic, and I, I learned so much in it. It, it was definitely um, a very rigorous program, and working full time as a consultant while doing that were, were many late nights. Um, so I felt like I was always burning the candle at both ends with that one. So. In, in the sense, getting a, a full-time MBA removes the variable of having a full-time, full-time job. So your full, your first responsibility when you're at business school is doing well in the classroom, whereas your first responsibility when you're getting a part-time degree is your day job. <laughs> right, right. Okay, it's a little bit different. Sydney, why did you go for your master's, and are you glad you got it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the reason I went for my master's is a lot of what Alec kind of echoed in his experience in his MBA program. My undergraduate experience was truly transformative for me just as a person. And I loved my time on campus, which led me to say, wow, I didn't realize that working in higher education on a college campus can be someone's full-time job. So when I thought about going back to school, you know, how can I do that full-time on a college campus, but also to be able to learn the intricacies of the U.S. higher education system. So while doing my master's program at GW, I had the opportunity to work in the law school admissions office. I worked in the undergraduate admissions office while also being a graduate student. So had a full view of how, you know, a higher education in research institution can work. I stumbled into the space of kind of veteran support. Um, like I mentioned, my spouse is an active duty service member and we were looking at student development theories and there wasn't a lot of research around student veterans and how they integrate onto college campuses, be it at the undergraduate or graduate level. So I had the opportunity to create new knowledge. There's so much incredible opportunities on college campuses across the different programs that students can enroll in. And that was just really exciting for me. Um, so to be able to go back for a graduate program focused on a student population, I was incredibly passionate and interested in learning more about while also kind of, you know, supporting my interest in learning higher education 100%. You know, it, it's led me truly to my position here now at Service to School um, when I look back at 2015 and the research projects that I had. So 100%, absolutely, it was worth it. Just being around people that are excited to learn, right? You get that on a, on a campus. And to Alex's point, you know, the networking, those kind of hands-on experiences that you get from being fully immersed in a college campus. I'm just incredibly passionate about sharing that opportunity for service members, but also for anyone who's interested in higher ed, so. Great, thank you. And your program was also a full-time program, was it? Or so I worked full-time, went part-time. Um, oh, so you but, also did the part-time. Okay. But I did. But you were um, working on campus. So in that sense, you right. were immersed. So it Got felt full-time because I would go straight from work to class in the evening. Yeah. 
when I would travel for work, you know, working in admissions, talking to prospective students, was able to apply what I was learning in the classroom and my job. So it felt like I was doing both full time, but wouldn't change it. Definitely to be able to see that practice and the application to what you're learning in the classroom play out in the workplace. I mean, to be able to marry those things was truly a dream come true. Oh, that's great. Okay. So that's a, the flip side of the part-time, especially when you're working in a related field. So there are advantages to being a vet applying to, to school and there are disadvantages to being a vet applying to school. Why don't we have each of you start with, with one of them? Okay. And you can obviously add what you, if you have something to add. Um, I'll tell you what, Alex, since you're such an expert at applications, why don't you address the disadvantages of applying or the challenges of applying as a vet? to, in your case, graduate school? Sure. And so I'd say that the disadvantage is really why services school is here. So the disadvantage is when you're in the military, it's a, a fairly small percentage of your, your coworkers and your peers are going to be looking to go to um, graduate school to leave and, and then go on to say business school, law school. Whereas when you, when you think about it, a lot more people in the private sector, say hypothetically, you're working for uh, an investment bank or consulting firm. The the, the major, uh, I wouldn't say the majority, but a, a large number of your peers are are looking um, to those type of programs, looking to business school, potentially law school. And so within your network, there's a lot more, I, I'd say, peer and near peer mentorship. You can talk about different programs. You can weigh pros and cons of each. Things like that. You can talk about good uh, GMAT and LSAT prep programs. Whereas uh, when you're a veteran, um, there's a lot less information, or I'd say you know, good information um, going around. Now, what service school is, is it's, it's a network of mentors. So if you're looking to get that, that good information, that mentorship, that near peer mentorship with your applications, that's what we're here for. So we're here to essentially uh, correct that, uh, that disadvantage that many veterans experience. Okay, great. Sydney, what would you say would be some of the advantages that vets have coming from the military and applying to grad school? And do you have anything to add to um, Alex's comment? Yeah, I mean, hitting home this point of the good information shared, um, that's what we definitely try and do here at Service to School is make sure that our applicants are well-informed about the admissions process and where they could be a good fit at some of the nation's you know, strongest institutions. That's one of the advantages, I think, of being a veteran applying to college um, right now is there's so much unknown about our veterans. From my time reading admissions files, I have no idea what you know someone's job in the Navy entails or someone's job in the Army entails. And to bring those real life experiences to a college campus, to a graduate program classroom, it's just a, it adds to the depth of the conversations that are able to happen inside the classrooms. And I think we see that through the program, the students that are going to, you know, some of our top business schools, Wharton, Harvard, right, they are actively seeking and enrolling veterans in those classrooms because they see that their experiences, their lived experiences are very different from the rest of the students that are enrolling in those programs. And we have those conversations with our student applicants regularly that you have very different experiences from what a traditional applications essay is going to sound like or what their resume is going to look like. And how can we best, you know, tell that story and help you translate those military experiences into civilian equivalencies or a language that a civilian is going to understand. And that just, I mean, sets their application already apart because 
reading files, you know, you're, you're kind of used to reading the same um, undergraduate experiences, undergraduate clubs, but when you get a veteran's application across your desk, it's a whole new lens, which is really exciting from a, an admissions reader standpoint. Right. It seems to me like it's almost a du- double-edged sword. You have this distinctive experience, which will add to the classroom and which graduate offices, admissions offices, and employers will value, but you have to translate a distinctive experience into language that civilians will understand. Am I correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a lot of what we spend our time doing is helping them find those equivalencies. I tell our applicants, if I don't understand what you're talking about in your personal statement or your statement of purpose, an admissions officer probably isn't going to either. So let's make sure we run that by your ambassador or service school team member to make sure that you are translating that in the best way that we can so that employers or an admissions office would understand some of the very specific military schooling um, that our applicants are coming to us with. Alec, do you have any feedback from there, especially as your time as an ambassador too? Yeah, so the the big thing is veterans don't write resumes. Like you, the, the... most veterans will join the military and never have to write a resume until they they leave. And so the understanding really like what what to put in a resume, how to how to convey the impact that you've made with your unit is something veterans, I think, often struggle with. We're, we're always taught to be somewhat uh, humble, um, by and large, give the credit to the group, whereas in, when that comes to writing a resume, that doesn't always put your best foot forward. So the key, I think, is a lot of veterans struggle with, like we, we already discussed, the you know the the acronyms and and things like that. Things that in the military are, are pretty well known, but not well known outside, and certainly not very well understood by a college admissions officer. So having that type of information in there that is not well explained, and then also being able to convey the impact they made with their unit and the the situation, task, action, result type resume bullet. And that's, again, what service school is, is here to help them do. All right, great. Let's, let's dive into some of the different forms of assistance that service to school provides to different types of applicants. Again, we're going to keep the, the focus on the, on the graduate programs because that's a mission straight talks focus, but obviously the understanding is that you also provide to high school grads applying to college and community colleges also. So let's start, Alec, with MBA applicants. Uh, what kind of assistance does service to school provide to MBA applicants? Sure. So the the big thing we we have are um, our, our MBA ambassadors that um, provide one on one mentorship to potential MBA applicants. So a potential MBA applicant will um, fill in an intake form to service to school. They'll have an onboarding call, and um, then they will likely be paired um, with an ambassador with a similar background who went to a school that they are interested in attending usually. So um, in my case, um, Wharton was my top choice, but the service school paired me with an ambassador who was at HBS. So they might not give you the exact school you want to go to, but a, uh, you know, a a peer, a peer school. So from that, the, that ambassador will typically help with um, application preparation, resume review, essays, interview coaching, um, things like that. Additionally, um, we've got an MBA guidebook that's available on our website that provides, independent of the ambassador, a an applicant can go there. They can, there's examples of good good essays, um, good good resumes, things like that. So there's those um, free web uh, resources that are available on our website at any time an applicant wants them. 
And um, additionally, we have some uh, some MBA programs where members uh, of different uh, veterans clubs at schools will uh, will talk to our applicants and, and answer questions as well. Okay, great. Can I just piggyback sure. in there as well? Sure. Um, Alec, being humble, he also just wrote and authored his own MBA um, guidebook for veterans. It's available on Amazon. But That's also, right. we do host an annual MBA and law school admissions fair that we bring in schools. This year, we had over 30 um, admissions offices represented. So veterans were able to speak directly with admissions offices for um, JD and MBA admissions. Is and the fair online or, or in person? It's all virtual, correct. Um, and then for our healthcare professionals team, we have information sessions. Um, this last year, we did one with Mount Sinai. So a lot of virtual events for our applicants as well. And it's all free to the applicant. So. All right, great. And you're kind of anticipating my, my next uh, questions, which would be about JD applicants, applicants to graduate programs in healthcare, and applicants to other graduate programs, whether it be you know the master's in finance that Alec attended, maybe he can touch on that again, or research-oriented PhD programs or engineering or public policy. So, Sunny, you want to take that? Several sub-questions, if you will. <laughs> sure, sure. So in addition to the events, I mean, I think the near peer piece is huge. Speaking specifically to our other grad team, that's where a lot of our PhD applicants will fall. Um, and when applying to PhD programs, typically they're asking for kind of like a statement of purpose, an idea of a dissertation topic. So our PhD ambassadors are, you know, typically going through with applicants thinking, okay, well, what kind of research might you want to do? Or what's the topic for, you know, your dissertation? Have you thought through what that would look like in terms of a timeline? Same conversations when we're talking with applicants through their medical school applications. Okay, well, let's think timeline. If they're using their GI Bill, how is that going to, you know, play into financing, you know, the, the entirety of their time um, in a medical program? So the, the near peer piece, I think, is, is very, key for our graduate programs, in addition to just the events and the um, resources that we're able to provide with some of the partnerships that we have with um, graduate programs across the country. Okay, great. Now, you mentioned PhDs. Most research-oriented PhD programs, and most PhD programs are by their very nature research-oriented, want to see previous research. Does the military provide opportunities for members to for service members to do research and if not how do how do applicants handle that so that's a that's a good question Denise, feel feel free to jump in if uh, if my answer is lacking anyway but so the short answer is yes the military does provide opportunities for members to do research specifically so for example so the the military is increasingly growing techno more technologically advanced and it's the military really actually has always kind of been on the the cutting edge of technology and so when you think about up and coming fields like AI, you know, a, a autonomy, uh, like autonomous vehicles, things like that. Uh, members of the military are often at commands where this type of work is is things that they do on a daily on a daily basis, and they're in. They might not specifically be in an R and D capacity, but they will. They've they'll publish um, articles in in military journals and and things like that. So there is the the opportunity to mm. do research while you're you're in the military. It's I would say it's not perhaps as as easy as um, if you're in, in in a purely academic pursuit, but it's there. Agreed. You know, seeking out those opportunities too. There's a lot of um, employers, organizations that have opportunities for research specifically for either student veterans or active duty 
I know my spouse specifically, he's getting an article published and he's a lawyer and that's all through the army. So there are opportunities out there. That's another thing I think service to school does is we try and share those opportunities with our applicants. Um, all of our teams, graduate teams, um, our MBA team is run by one of our, our best ambassadors. Um, and he's regularly sending out opportunities for applicants within the MBA program for internships, research, scholarships, um, whatever those kind of fields are in terms of the program that they're applying to. Whenever we get resources like that, we try and share them with our applicants. So they're definitely out there. Great. Okay. Now, what suggestions do you have for, let's, 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 you can, and I'll let whichever one of you take this, but do you have for, for vets applying to the different programs? I mean, do you recommend, let's say that MBA applicants get experience in the business world after separating from the military and before applying? Or do you think that perhaps the logistics experience they may have gotten in the military is usually enough for, for business school and ultimately employers? Alec, again, do you want to take that one since it's about MBAs? And we'll go through the other categories also quickly. Okay. Yeah, sure. So, um, so the short answer is you can, like, I actually have known veterans who have left the military on say a Friday and started their MBA on a Monday. Um, okay. <laughs> and they've been very successful. So, so it can be done. The, I, I mean, I do think the reality is it, the more experience you can have working in the private sector between the military and the start of business school, the better. Um, in, in my case, I spent about five years uh, working for Booz Allen Hamilton before I started my MBA, and I think that that gave me a little bit of a leg up um, over some of my other veterans at business school in terms of just really understanding really how corporate America works because it, it's fundamentally different than the military. But with that said, I think that five years might have been on the extreme side. Um, you know, I, I'd say that a good a good thing that a lot of veterans can take advantage of is the DoD SkillBridge program, which is I believe it's six months before they leave the military, they can get an internship for a, a company in the private sector, and so they still get their military pay. They're still technically in active duty, but they are working for this uh, this company. So if you can get a little bit of experience like that before you start business school, um, that's very helpful. There's also opportunities out there for pre-MBA programs um, for veterans that uh, that I knew some of my my peers at Warden also took advantage of. Um, there's some, I believe, um, BlackRock, Scott One. So th those are also good things to uh, to look into. And the best way to handle it is uh, if if you're a veteran, you get into business school, reach out to that veterans the, the veterans club at that university, and they're they're often um, very um, they've got a good handle on the different internship opportunities available. And then also the service school MBA team can, can be helpful as well in that regard. Okay. And since your, your husband's a, an attorney in the military, uh, what would you recommend for service members who are thinking of going for a JD? Yeah. You know, I think there's, again, kind of comes back to the good information. There's a lot of bridge programs, even from the military where they will go back and pay for you to go to law school and then you come back, you know, kind of as an um, active duty JAG. There's so many opportunities that I think, unfortunately, a lot of people just don't know about. So as much experience as you can get, as much as you can network and connect with people, like Alex said, you know, reaching out to vets clubs where and when you can and connecting with ambassadors from service to school. You know, I, I hate to keep plugging that, but they've made that transition. They've made that leap that a lot of service members are looking for. So to talk to someone that has done that and charted those waters is the best way to figure out what, you know, that could look like for you. 
Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think as much hands-on experience as you can get, knowledge about the field and what it looks like and what that process entails, it's just gonna set you up to be the most successful, but also to make the best decision for yourself if that's the journey that you're wanting to go down. Right, makes sense, great advice. You can keep plugging the ambassadors, it's okay. I'm gonna ask now about healthcare. I know that the military also has a medical school. Um, that's certainly one opportunity. And I think if you go to that medical school, your medical school education is paid for. You have to serve afterwards, but um, it is it is paid for and you emerge debt-free, which is pretty nice. But what are other things, especially somebody's coming out of the military, maybe they were a medic in the military, what should they be doing? And I think that what, Cindy, why don't you take that one? You know, I, I think a lot of it depends. And this is kind of where we do a lot of educating with our admissions colleagues as well, is the the job that someone could have in the military is going to depend where they're at in terms of rank, at least from my understanding, mm -hmm. um, right? So my husband works as a JAG. He has a law degree, but he also works with paralegals. Some of them don't have a bachelor's degree. Just, just for um, us civilians, what's a JAG? I looked, I looked yeah. it up before I came home, but I didn't. <laughs> for sure. Um, so he's a lawyer for the army is essentially what it comes okay. down. So he went to law school and then joined the army afterwards. But to go back to your medic example, one of his paralegals was thinking about going to medical school. And I was saying, okay, well, what is, what's some experiences you can get through the military that we can help show an admissions office that you have an interest in medicine, that that's kind of your journey, putting him in a position to kind of get that experience. Like you were asking about previously, you know, should they join the workforce before they apply to some of these graduate programs? But if you can check both of those boxes from your time in service, you know, before you get right. out, then that's, you're getting paid to kind of, you know, check that box while you're um, still on your active duty assignment. But you know, to, to your point about the medical program, we had several friends that are military doctors and they had their whole medical school paid for. They are also have a residency, you know, kind of takes all of that part out of it too. Like you don't necessarily have to do the matching that comes with medical school residency programs. But I think when you can use the military to get that experience at whatever degree program through undergrad, right? Um, I think that kind of sets you up to double check a lot of those boxes and use your time as efficiently as effectively as you can. That's for sure. We also once had an interview, this was a few years ago, with a representative of the medical, it's a long name, I forget the exact name of it, said it's dot com slash 266. Again, I don't remember the exact name of the, the medical uh, hospital, but U.S. medical, military, I don't know, whatever. Okay, but if you're interested in that, check out that podcast also. And what about, again, and, and you know, the, obviously the, the catch-all category of grad is enormous, okay? You have research-oriented uh, programs, you have uh, terminal master's programs in, let's say, engineering or public policy, all kinds of programs. So talking in the, about that very broad category can be pretty difficult. But, and you can, again, both, either one of you jump in, what can veterans do to prepare themselves for those kinds of programs, really broad strokes. Cindy, you want to start again and then Alec can add, okay? Yeah, you know, I think researching your why, figuring out why you might go into one of these more specific programs. Like I said, I knew for me, higher ed, I wanted to understand the ins and outs and how it works. So a higher ed education administration made sense for me, but does the field that you're transitioning into, does the career, does it require an advanced degree? Is a lot of what I asked my applicants 
applicants that are applying to some of those more specific graduate programs. Are you going into a PhD because you think it's going to make you more marketable or is it going to lead to career progression or are you just truly interested in learning that field, right? So, so much of it, I think, comes back to your why. Why would you invest, you know, four years, three years for law school to then, you know, come out with a law degree? What do you want to do with it? Um, what is your why? I think is the most important to, to reflect on. That's great advice because mo- many, if not most, or all graduate programs, most require something called a statement of purpose. And if you don't have a why, you don't have a purpose. And it's extremely difficult to write a statement of purpose without a purpose. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> okay. I've said this many times. Uh, Alec, what are student to services requirements for participants in its programs? other than being active duty or veterans? That's, that's really it. Um, if, you've, if you've served your country, we're, we're here to serve you. So the, it, it's more so I'd say the, the timeline. So we've got a, a ton of free resources on our website. We do the, you know, the fairs that, that Sydney uh, discussed. We've got the programs um, that are open to all veterans. When it comes to ambassador pairing, uh, we, we try to pair them with the ambassador at the time that their, their application is, is going to um, be completed. So, you know, if you're in theory, say you're applying for uh, you know, an intake in the, the fall of 2024, we'll, we'll pair you up with that ambassador in the, the fall of 2023 so that you can, you can get, um, get your application worked on then when it's due. But oftentimes people will reach out to us like two years um, before they they actually have to have their application uh, applications prepped. They're just really interested in getting our our feedback on different programs um, and advice, and so we're always open to that. And and then typically we'll we'll set reminders as a staff to reach out to these people again, check in with them, see how they're doing. But when it comes to the actual where the rubber meets the road, you get paired with ambassador and you work on your application. We tend to do that right um, right when that application is actually going to be due. Okay. All right. And is there any requirement? I, I thought I saw online, but I might have misread it that they need to have their their test if if the program they're applying to requires a test. Is that true or did I just misread it? Yeah. So we have um, on our website, it'll kind of list the teams, um, what their requirement is in terms of testing. We like to see at least an unofficial score um, for an exam that's different from enlisted versus officer. So it will vary on the program that they're interested in applying to, but we do like to see at least a practice test, some kind of, you know, investment in um, moving towards that application timeline. Got it. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Now, I think we touched on this briefly. Sometimes, a lot of times, and I think Alec, you addressed it briefly, but I'm going to ask a question again. People coming from the military, they have this wonderful, rich, and distinctive experience, which schools would value, but it's hard to understand. Much like I had to look up JAG, uh, judicial something, something. Okay. <laughs> Give me any tips or advice on how service members, vets can translate their experience so that readers don't have to constantly be Googling acronyms and application readers can better appreciate quality of their experience and the relevance of their experience to the private sector. Alec, you want to touch on that first? Yeah. Cindy, you can add. <laughs> So the, the easiest thing that I tell people is don't put acronyms in your <laughs> in your uh, in your resume. That helps. Uh, that will definitely and, help. <laughs> yeah, and so I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of of one I had is I was working with a he was an MBA applicant and he had a very impressive job. He was working for 
and, and I'm going to tell you what what he just the way he described. He says, uh, you know, I was uh, an aide um, to the CNO. Okay, the CNO is the Chief of Naval Operations. That mm -hmm. is effectively the head of the U.S. Navy. Um, on active duty, I've got to I've got to remember my numbers here. I think it's on on the order of. 200,000 active duty personnel, another 200,000 reservists. So what we're looking at is someone who's, you know, equivalent yeah. to like the, the CEO of a, a, you know, a fortune 100 company. So what I, I talked to that individual saying, what you did is very impressive, but anyone who's reading that resume is not going to know who the CNO is. Yes. People in the military know, but other people don't. So you can say something to like chief of naval operations, parentheses, CEO equivalent of a 400,000 person organization. And so just like put something like that. So when a, you know, when a, an MBA ad com reads it, like, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. And the use of numbers is critical. Yes. Right. Numbers. Oh yes. Yes. And so that's key. So um, I say not always numbers impact and say, so for example, things like ranked number one out of 10 peers, um, you know, something like uh, led to a 20% improvement in, uh, in unit readiness, things like that. Um, so numbers as much as possible and no acronyms. Okay, great. That's, that was, oh, that was really to the point and excellent. Sydney, can you top it? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I, think <laughs> I would echo everything he says. And I, I, I mean, even still, we, you know, my spouse has been in for 12 years and I'm consistently learning new acronyms <laughs> and asking for, you know, a dictionary. Translation, so, please. <laughs> yes, all the time. So if I'm feeling it, I, admissions officers, admissions readers, they are 100% feeling it too. And, um, you know, if you're seeing acronyms and words they're not used to coming across their desk. Right. But I mean, you translated that so, so clearly, so simply, so directly. It, it was just a, a fantastic example, Alec. All right, let's say we have an active duty military person who has six to nine months between separation from the military and when they hope to start their graduate program, whatever it might be. Do you have a recommendation for what they should do during that period? And whoever you wants to go first can go first. Okay, <laughs> go for it, Sydney. Oh, I was going to deflect that to Alec. Oh, oh all I right, sorry, I misunderstood you. I misunderstood your, your hand motion. Go ahead, Alec, go ahead. Sorry. So, so the short answer is, um, you can you can do a, do a lot of things, and it, it really comes down to the the individual and what, what they feel they need. So, a lot of times, um, a service member will have been deployed a lot. They'll they'll be really kind of burned out from the the grueling military experience, and maybe just taking six months to relax to go sit on a beach for a bit. One of my, one of my friends went to, to Bali and surfed for six months before business school. Sounds good. <laughs> and that was what, that was what he needed. You know, he had, he had been um, in very stressful, you know, very stressful deployments and was burned out mentally. And before he kind of embarked on the next phase of his life, he really just needed that reset. Now, at the same time, there's other people who are just dead set at getting that investment banking job, that private equity job, and the best thing for them might be pursuing a pre-MBA internship. So I think that the, the key really is for you to take a look at yourself, figure out what you need before you make that next, uh, that next jump. All right. Do you have anything to add, Cindy? No, that was All tied right. it up nicely. All right. Now, if somebody is now thinking of applying to an MBA program this upcoming cycle. So they're more like 15 months away. I said six to, six to nine months uh, in my last question. 
they they have time to plan and you can you can expand that to other other grad applications too but well not not healthcare healthcare you you know you're hitting the ground running now um especially md and do but let's all right so let's let's keep it to mba and jd it's now probably 15 months until they would start their program and let's say they've already separated what what would be your suggestions for them so they're applying presumably later this summer maybe the fall and they're hoping to start their MBA, you know, summer 2024. So for, for that person, the number, I think the, the number one priority is figuring out where you want to go to school, because that's going to drive all of your decisions, because it's, if you want to go to, you know, a, a, one of the, the top MBA programs, you're, you're going to have to get a very strong GMAT or GRE score. And, uh, but if your aspirations aren't as lofty, then you don't necessarily have to spend as much time stressing about uh, about that GMAT or uh, or GRE. So, my my recommendation is really set your target, figure out what you need to get there, and then you need to start reaching out to services school. Um, is is the the first step I always tell people to do. If you're interested in in going to uh, any form of advanced education, send us a note. We'll get you in the system. We'll start rolling with you, and then reach out to the the veterans clubs at the the different schools you're interested in applying to, because those people can generally give you some good insights. And then they'll they'll often have um, pre, uh, a veterans visit days. Um, so for example, Wharton has a, I believe it's semi-annual veterans visit day, where if you're interested in going, you know, people two, three years out, will just go there and just see what Wharton's all about, meet with some vets, sit in a classroom and see if that's really for them. So I'd say that the first step is setting your target, figuring out what you're going to need to get on your standardized test to get there. And then networking with, uh, with veterans who have, have walked the road you want to walk. Great. Good answer again. Thank you. Can I just add one thing um, to sure, that absolutely. too? I mean, as you're researching schools, encouraging them to think about how they're going to pay for it. Um, you know, so if we're talking about <laughs> utilizing your GI Bill or any financial aid, what that could look like for you, if you're going to pay out of pocket, right? That's a big part too of figuring out what that school or that program fit is. So we definitely encourage the financial piece to be a big conversation um, that you start with when you're thinking there, okay, like what is this program going to cost me over the course of three plus years? I would actually like to add something to Alex, uh, Alex point, if I could not, not because specifically military, because if it was, I couldn't be adding anything, but in general, I am a firm believer that graduate decisions should be guided by what you want to do after the graduate program. So if you're, you start researching your schools, you have to really know the direction you want to take afterwards. And then that becomes the true North Star in guiding where you also apply. Now, hopefully there's yeah. not a disconnect between qualifications and your goals. You know, that, that's sometimes a problem. But, you know, if that aligns, then it, the whole process becomes much, much easier. Oh, yeah. Um, no, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm going to throw on one more thing I forgot. Sure, go ahead. Um, is, is, is family buy-in. Right, you're going to have to ask your significant other if they're they're okay with with you taking the time off um, from you know being in the private sector for sacrificing several years of income, and for them to disrupt their lives to go where you want to go to school. If they're if that's something they're on board in, and I think that it's very important to set expectations with your family members uh, and make sure that they're really on board with with your decision to apply to graduate school if you if you do have a family. That's right. 100%. Now, I wanted to ask this question. I forgot to, to plan it in ahead, but I want, do want to ask you about your new book. 
Can you tell us about it a little bit, Alex? Yeah. Uh, so um, book is called Breaking Business School, The Savvy Veterans 10-Step Guide to MBA Success. Um, it's free on Kindle. So if you just go to Amazon, you, you can get it, from uh, get it for free there. And basically, I learned many lessons the hard way between the military and business school. I spent five years in the private sector. I tried many different options. You know, like we, as we discussed, I had a you know part-time business degree in finance. I worked for a consulting firm, and um, I learned a lot in the process. And when I was getting out, I, I got out of the Navy in in 2012. Left active service then, and there wasn't really that much information out there. And so what I did was I set out to write the book I wish I had had in 2012 which really gives kind of the, the whole start to finish um, process of, of business school in terms of like what, what careers can you get with a full-time MBA, what you'll be competitive for, um, especially as a veteran where you can really put your best foot forward, what it takes to get into particular schools, and then the, the differences between part-time degrees, full-time degrees, and really then once you get to school, um, what to expect and how to succeed once you're at business school, because that's a very, very important variable, because just because you get into a top business school does not mean you're going to get that that top job. You have to be very deliberate when you get to that school, be focused, set your target and prepare for your job interviews. And so and then and then it it closes out with um, once you've already got that job offer, how can you really maximize your experience while you're there at that school? And um, one of the big things there is becoming a service school ambassador and paying it forward. <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. This is for each of you. What question would you like to answer that I haven't asked? Cindy, why don't you go first on that one? Yeah, you know, I think the, the question would be, why not go after some of these top schools, right? Why not put yourself in the ring to be, you know, admitted to the top business schools or the top law schools in the country? We've worked with an applicant. She used to work here on staff at services school. She's enlisted Navy, started undergraduate Yale, and is now in law school at Yale. So to sell yourself short and not to give yourself the best opportunity, you know, after your time in service, why not? Sounds good. And Alec, what would you have liked me to ask you? So this is this is um, one is how old is too old for an MBA? Okay, and go for it. Because there was so much, there was so much bad information about this, and this the, there was this myth going around. I remember, so I got, you know, when I got out, I was thirty, and I actually thought I was too old to go to business school because oh goodness, it was that's said, ridiculous. Oh yeah, yeah, and that that's that's there's this bad information that circulates around where um, I, I think I'd heard a few people say, oh, like you're you're not competitive for a top program if you're in your thirties or, you know, things like uh, Warden only wants people that are in their late twenties at the oldest. And I said, well, you know, I'm 30, I'm not going to be competitive. So I'm not really going to waste my time with it. And, uh, and the reality is really that you, you kind of set your own pace. If you are at a point in your career where you think an MBA, a full-time MBA I'm talking about, is, is the right move for you. If you want to take two years off, hit the reset button, pursue a different career field, then 100% go for it. And don't really listen to the rumors that are out there um, because there is an exception to every, you know, quote unquote rule out there. And so at the end of the day, you figure out what you want, reach out to services school and we'll help you get there. Sounds good. All right. May, may I ask, would you mind telling us how old you were when you got your MBA, when you started your MBA? Yep, 35 years old, graduated when I was 37, and I was not the oldest person in my class. 
No, that's true. That's true. They do. And I will say my experience is that sometimes older MBA applicants, whether coming from the military and less so coming from the military, have sometimes have a harder time because they have a harder time justifying the time off from a, a career. But it is not impossible. We have worked with people also in their mid mid thirties, I think even forties, who've gone. Yep. But anyway, that is a, a seek advice if you're trying to do this. That's for sure. All right, Alec and Sydney, thank you so much for joining me today. I've enjoyed chatting with both of you about service to school. And Alec, thank you for your service. And Sydney, thanks to your husband for his service. Listener, you'll find links in the show notes at accepted.com slash 524 to service to school, as well as to interviews with vets and service to schools co-founder Gus Giacomin. Quick reminder, don't miss the MBA admissions quiz. Find out if you're really ready to apply and competitive at your target schools. Take the free quiz at accepted.com slash MBA quiz. Listener, thank you too for tuning in to this, our 524th episode. If you found this show helpful, please subscribe. You can do so in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or whatever podcatcher you prefer. You can find subscribe links at accepted.com slash 524. This is Admission Straight Talk, produced by Accepted, and I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. <music>